broadcasting live from the Raiders practice facility at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center. This is the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, presented by Tequila Embajador. All right, I'm just going to say it. Gonzaga is next level. Um, I was thinking USC might be able to uh, 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 make it a game, or at least I have a, actually they were going to beat Gonzaga, to be honest with you. Um, but, man, because USC is good. Uh, they got some NBA players on that team. I think, I think they're well coached. Uh, they've got athletes. Uh, they're versatile. Uh, they've got good guard play, good big men play. Uh, but Gonzaga is just saying, nah, um, we're, we're the cream of the crop. And uh, it'll, be, it'll be interesting because it looks like probably, uh, although we'll see what happens with UCLA um, you know, coming up later on today. Maybe a Gonzaga-Baylor matchup. Is that possible? i got to look at the bracket. I'm not the, that bracket guy. I just like to watch to watch. I'm not trying to you know, win the whole darn thing. Uh, but uh, at some point, uh, Baylor and Gonzaga are probably going to cross paths, and uh, that's going to be a, a, a heck of a game. And maybe our friend Q Myers uh, has some thoughts on that. Uh, he's he's out there in Texas, so he knows his hoops, uh, and I'm sure he knows some Baylor hoops uh, as well. Q Myers, how are you doing, my brother? Uh, are you watching uh, the uh, the you-know-what whooping that Gonzaga's putting on USC? A, B, can Gonzaga beat Baylor. I mean, are, what are we what are we looking at if those two teams match up? Because I was impressed with Baylor last night. Well, I'm telling you, man, I fell for the banana in the tailpipe as well. I thought Gonzaga was going to get pushed by USC. It doesn't look that way. Now, maybe they have a second a second half run. Who knows? But I'm I'm not seeing it. I think that Gonzaga is going to be uh, moving on in this game and and being in and be the Final Four. And yeah, there's a possibility, man. Gonzaga and Baylor could could match up for the national championship. That would be an outstanding game. That's really the game I'm hoping for, even though I picked Michigan in my bracket. So I'd be going against everything that I, I, I put down in my own bracket. But I just think that those are the two best teams playing ball right now. Baylor's looking really, really good, man. The first time they've been to the Final Four since 1950. I mean, that's 71 years. And it wasn't even the Big 12 then. I mean, it's just it's a heck of a job that Scott Drew's done since taking over that program. So uh, it's been fun to see the ride that they're on, coming up with the big win against Arkansas uh, last night. So, uh, yeah, man, it, it should be fun down the stretch, Final Four on, Sun- on Saturday, Baylor and Houston. You know, uh, and, and it's interesting about all that, and we'll obviously get to Raider Talk here in just a second, but, um, you know, guys like Mark Few uh, and, 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 and the Baylor coach, um, you know, they're at programs that are, you know, not the upper echelon, quote unquote, programs. They're not the Kentuckys or the right. UCLA's and, you know, and whatnot. And, and, and Mark Few, you know, UCLA has had a few openings. And, and I know that UCLA has been interested in Mark Few. And, and I'm sure a lot of other, quote unquote, you know, bigger programs have as well. And Mark Few's always been like, nah, man, I'm good. I'm good here at Gonzaga. And I think there's something to be said in today's um, college basketball uh, world where, you know, some of these Kentuckys, and, and, and they'll get it back together, but, but the bigger programs are, are almost victims to this one-and-done um, deal. Yeah. And sometimes it totally benefits you. When you can get a collection of talent like Kentucky's had, where it's like five of those guys, uh, that's great. But, but, you know, if you only have the one or guys that, that, already are, that are already thinking along those terms who aren't quite there but are playing like they are, uh, it could it could really disrupt things too because those guys have bigger ideas than the college that they're at. 
Uh, and I guess long story short, at a Gonzaga and a Baylor, I think there's much more development going on. And so you have guys that stick around a little bit longer. Uh, and as a result, you know, you, you just I think that creates an edge sometimes when that age and maturity and um, experience level at schools like that that aren't necessarily dealing with those one and dones come up against a team like UCLA or some of these other schools that do. Am I right or what do you think? Yeah, no, you're spot on. I mean, it's, it's buying into the team instead of buying into me. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, these guys, they go to school. A lot of these one and done go to school because they have to for the one year. And then they're ready to go to the NBA and make that money. And Calipari, for the longest, is like, cool, no problem. Come on here and, and play one year and then and then go. And that's, and that's how I'll recruit you. Scott Drew, uh, Baylor's head coach, he, he convinces guys to redshirt. In a, in a time when nobody wants to redshirt, he convinces these guys to redshirt and, and stick around and buy into the team because there's something greater than just you, and we have a chance to be really, really special. And, you know, the, uh, you know it's Mark Few I mean, and Scott Drew and, and coaches that are at places like that that are really dedicated to the basketball program, that are committed to the basketball program, they're in a really good spot instead of just going to a school because, well, they, they got money with and, hey, it's a big name, let's go there. Instead, they're like, hey, you know, I'll stay here because this school's dedicated to basketball. We just saw it with Shaka Smart at UT. He, he, he leaves. He was about to get fired anyway. Uh, if it wasn't this year, it was going to be next year. But they're not dedicated to basketball. They're not a basketball school. It's all about football, and that's all that matters. And so, hey, he's just an afterthought. Now he goes to Marquette where they care about basketball. That's a basketball school. So, yeah, he's going to be able to get his players to buy into his team, his concepts, and then go out there and play as a team. UT didn't have that opportunity. It was just a bunch of, of me guys out there doing their thing. But Scott Drew and Mark Few, they're, they're, they're some of the programs that are fun to, to cheer for because they do things, they do it the right way. They, they, they get their guys to buy into the team. Absolutely. Talking to Q Myers, our good friend uh, here at Raider Nation Radio, uh, and uh, obviously does his own thing as well. And Q, I wanted to mention that uh, I haven't been able to, I haven't had a chance to listen to it, but I am going to. Uh, but, I, but I did see you tweet out uh, one of your latest podcasts, and the headline uh, uh, grabbed my attention, and I can't wait to listen to it, but I'm hoping that you'll give me a sneak peek here. Um, and, and basically you said, you know, managing expectations for the Raiders this year. And I thought that was pretty fascinating. Uh, and I, I, I haven't listened, so I don't know what your expectations are for the Raiders and what you're urging fans or counseling fans, uh, to, uh, to for how to formulate their expectations. But, it, it, you know, in a quick sort of a way, what exactly, uh, are, are we talking about for, for the expectations and, and what exactly are you talking about in that podcast as far as that goes? Well, I had a really good caller call in and talk about, you know, expectations and the fans need to manage their expectations at this time of year when it's free agency is going on, when the draft is going on, and fans get excited and fired up. And, you know, as a guy that's been following sports my whole life, I understand this, you know, because the draft used to be the day that I sat in my living room and watched when the Raiders made a pick. They drafted Jamarcus Russell. I thought, oh, my God, that's going to be 45 touchdowns a, a season <laughs> because he could throw from one knee and he could do this and he's amazing. And then I saw another year where they drafted Michael Huff and, you know, he's going to be one of these great safeties for years to come. And then I saw Darren McFadden and he's going to run for 1,000 yards for the next 10 years. I mean, there's always super expectations when – the Raiders, or any football team, this is just fans in general, any football team goes out and makes moves. You kind of, as a fan, justify why that free agent move was great. Like, I'm excited about Unique Ngakwe. I think he's going to bring some good things to the table. You know I've been pounding the table for him for a while. But just because he's there now, don't all of a sudden expect, like, okay, well, he's going to get 12 sacks. Max Crosby's going to get 12 sacks. 
this guy's going to get 12 sacks, and it's going to be everything's going to be solved. I mean, he's a good piece, but he's not. You know, it's not going to be the, the end all that's going to solve all the issues. And, and I, I feel like, and I even put myself on on Front Street. I said, hey, look, they drafted Henry Ruggs. I expected a monster season from him. I was wrong. That my expectations got the best of me. You know, they went out and made a lot of moves. Corey Littleton and, and Nick Wachowski. I thought, okay, they're not going to have to worry about Travis Kelsey and Noah Fant and all these guys. You know, they're going to have that solved. Obviously, Paul Gunther's scheme didn't really, you know, coexist with, with Corey Littleton. I think it would be better this year under Bradley. But at the same time, don't get too hyped up right now. Let the process play out. Kind of take it low and slow like you're cooking a brisket. And just, you know, just let it just simmer a little bit. And then when you see what's coming out of training camp, when you see, you know, some games actually get under these guys' belt and what they can do, then start to form your opinion. But a lot of times fans get so hyped and try to win the offseason, and that's not when you win games. You know it. You've been covering football for a long, 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 many, many moons. You know you don't win games in March and April and May. You win them when it counts on the field. We're talking uh, to Q Myers. You can follow him at your boy Q254. He's the host of UNR 3 to 6 p.m. on Fox Sports Central Texas. Uh, all right, I'm going to flip it on you a little bit here, uh, Q. I uh, hope you're ready um, and 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 Always. take it take it next level on the expectations. But forget about the players for a second. Uh, the Raiders made a major move defensively in their coaching staff, um, yeah. their leadership, uh, their assistant coaches uh, uh, on defense. If we're talking about expectations, obviously the players, you know, go out there and execute, and and they're the ones that we uh, focus on most. But what expectations should we have for what Gus Bradley and Ron Miles and Richard Smith and now you know Rod Marinelli working under that staff? Uh, is it fair to have some ex- expectations um, about that group changing things with this defense? Yeah, of course, because that's the reason why he was hired. He was hired to make moves. He was hired to fix the defense that clearly was broken. That was a terrible defense in 2020. I mean, it just was not good. And so, yeah, I mean, he's being brought in, and those names that you you mentioned, the other coaches, the DB coach, the linebacker coach, Rod Marinelli, of course, those guys are well-respected coaches, and so they those names carry some weight. So they've got a, a tall task in front of them. They've got to figure out how a Jonathan Abram fits into the program. They've got to figure out the best way to use a Damon Arnett, uh, how to get the most out of Corey Littleton. I mean, they've got a lot of of answers, questions that they have to answer. And so, yeah, the expectations for me, the expectations from uh, the fan base is to make sure that that defense is better. And I don't think that, you know, saying, oh, they're going to be a top 10 defense, I don't think that's realistic. But just being better, you know, being better, being able to create some turnovers, being able to get off the field on third and long, being able to, you know, to to come up and wrap up and, and tackle, you know, not having all the missed tackles that they had. There's a lot of things that were really just, breakdowns and fundamentals, in my opinion, last season that, that Gus Bradley himself can, can fix just, I think, by kind of simplifying things. I hate to use that word because it makes it sound like, you know, these players don't know how to play the game, but I think that sometimes it can get a little complex when they're really just doing something that should be simplistic. So, yeah, the expectations should be to be a much better defense, and the expectations for this team in general should be high. I, I don't, don't get me wrong. I think it should be high, but I just don't want everyone to get super fired up and super you know excited about every move that's being made right now wait till they get out of training camp and you see exactly what they're working with but yeah i mean gus bradley his biggest job is going to be turn that defense around no doubt about that all right i'm going to hit you with this um okay 
there's been we obviously the focus uh, if you're uh, an action speaks louder than words kind of a guy like I am and I know you yeah. are as well. Obviously, they've put you know uh, most of their attention and money onto that defensive line, right? Yeah. Uh, this is what I'm going to hit you with. When the, when when that job became open, all right, I talked to uh, some of the candidates that were involved and people that were interested in the job, and one of the questions that I asked everyone that, that I talked to that had interest in that job was, well, why are you interested in it? And short of, um, you know, wanting to further their careers or whatever the case might be, even more prevalent than that was there's more talent there than you think. And so there was an excitement level about coming here to Las Vegas, the potential of, to work with the players that they had on hand. Uh, and as we look at the way this free agency period has played out, Obviously, they've put money toward that defensive line, but that's about it, save for, you know, re-signing um, uh, the, the, the young linebacker, Nicholas Morrow. Does that tell you, I mean, are, are, are you know, I know that they're going to do some things in the draft, but does that, is that kind of an indicator of maybe there is a little bit more talent here than, than people originally thought, and that Gus Bradley now being in charge, and I'm sure scouring the film and watching the film and getting an understanding of these players is like, hey, hold on. We, we don't need wholesale changes at cornerback and linebackers um, and, and even, you know, one of, that, one of the safety spots. Is, is that an indicator of maybe there is talent here that just hasn't been tapped into uh, as, as, it, as, it may have, as it should have been these last couple of years? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a no doubt about it, no-brainer. I think that the, the, there is definitely talent there. I think that, you know, Damon Arnett is a very talented young man. I think he has an opportunity to be a very good corner in the league. But I, I think and it kind of indicates by what the Raiders have done so far in free agency, their biggest issue is getting to the quarterback, creating a pass rush, and then everything behind them is that much better if they can do that. And I think we all realize that Gus Bradley's not a guy who's going to call the dogs in and, and, and try to blitz all the time. He's not. He's going to get home with the front four. He wants to get home. The expectations are to get home. So I feel like he's really built up a nice little room of rotational guys that can be in there and be fresh all the time and try to get that pressure on the quarterback. And then he'll look at a Trayvon Mullen and say, okay, this is how we're going to put you in position to make plays. Uh, Damon Arnett, this is how we're going to use you to the best of your ability. Oh, Jonathan Abrams, this is how you're going to succeed. Uh, I think the biggest question for Raider Nation, I, I, one of the biggest questions I have is who's going to be the safety next to Jonathan Abram? And, and they can go and do that. Like you said, they could address it in the, the draft. I would like to see them bring in a, a veteran, at least to compete in camp. And, you know, do they need another corner? Um, you know, depending on how the draft shakes out, maybe they get a corner in the first round that's like a big-time guy that you didn't think was going to be there at 17. You know, you never know. But uh, th there's, there's a lot of talent. I believe the team has a lot of talent. I just don't think it's been tapped and used correctly. Uh, even going back to Corey Littleton, you know, from his time with the Rams, great guy, great player. You know, worked his way up from a special teams dude to a, a, a big-time free agent at the linebacker position. But at times last season, he looked lost because he was, he was thinking too much. Well, Gus Bradley probably said, hey, I can make that guy really good. Or maybe he can remind me of, you know, a Bobby Wagner type guy. Or maybe I could use this guy like, you know, someone that he's had before the fold. And I do think something that's not been talked about enough, and I know it's probably been talked about, and I know you brought it up before. I think Gus Bradley really knows how to get the most out of Unique and Gakwe, too. And, and I keep bringing him up because I'm excited about what he can possibly do. And the fact that Bradley had him as a rookie and kind of knows him and knows exactly what 
what to get out of that guy or how to get the most out of him. I think he's still young and hungry, so I think he's got a lot to prove as well. So uh, he, I think, will be a good fit. Obviously, he's not the best against the run, but that's where these other pieces that the Raiders have brought in can really help out in a major way. Absolutely. Uh, All right, so Pro Football Focus came out with uh, a two-round mock draft. Um, And this one in particular caught my eye uh, because I think, you know, sometimes you look at some of the national mock drafts and you're like, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. That's not a position that, you know, whatever. So uh, that goes without saying. This particular draft, the Pro Football Focus draft, uh, was pretty much spot on on what the Raiders need right now. And it worked out with uh, Christian Darsaw, the uh, left left tackle, right tackle, uh, he would be with the Raiders, from Virginia right. Tech with case. that 17th pick. And Richie Grant, uh, the University of uh, Central Florida safety at pick number 48. First question, what do you think about, how happy would you be uh, if, if, the, if the draft played out that way uh, with those first two picks. And secondarily to that, are we sleeping on Javon Holland from Oregon, who I loved in 2019, but you know, is persona non grata right now because he didn't play in 2020. Are we, are we holding that against him when we're evaluating these safeties? I think somebody's going to get a great football player in Javon Holland, and he's going to fall simply because he just didn't, he didn't play last year. Right, and I think that that's going to be the big question around a lot of guys, you know, because they didn't have that, that film on 2020, and they just sat out, you know, because of COVID, they opted out. I, I, I feel like that does hurt a lot of players. I mean, it really does, and that's why I think that there's uh, a lot more teams willing to make trades, you know, and, and trade out of the position and even make moves to go up and get a certain guy in particular that they covet, even if that means giving up a couple of extra draft picks because they, uh, you know, they, they don't have film on as many different guys as they normally would, and I think the Hollands are really, really good safety. Think so you could definitely play that position, but I think you're going to have questions. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind you'll have some questions of how ready is he to step into a role after being out of season. I mean, look, you got the same questions around Michael Parsons, and I think we all realize he's the best linebacker in the in the in the draft. But you know, what about the year out? You know, what about some issues off the field? I mean, there's there's going to be questions I think around all these guys. But going back to your other question about uh, about Darisaw and Grant, I mean, that would be, I think, a, a home run for the Raiders that they were able to land those two guys. Um, you know, the, the draft is very deep at tackle position, so when I'm putting together my mock draft, I've been kind of contemplating it right now. We're going to do a mock draft on the Locked On Network. Um, I, I just I got a couple guys in mind for that number 17 pick. I also include in that and is trading back and picking up some other, you know, a couple other picks if, if someone's willing to do that with me. Um, Darisol is definitely one of the guys I'm considering. And it was funny, I, I was interested in what he said the other day after his pro day. He said that he's talked to some teams about uh, playing the right tackle position for the next four or five years and then kicking over to the left tackle because right now they have a solidified left tackle for the next four or five years. And I thought, well, maybe that's not, you know, the players because, well, Colton Miller, I mean, he's young, but he doesn't have a four or five-year contract, and then he gets an extension today. So <laughs> just – Throwing that out there, <laughs> just throwing that out there is maybe a possibility. Kind of makes a lot of sense if the Raiders are a team that he was talking to. If you're if you're throwing that up against the wall, trust me, it just stuck like super glue to it. Uh, I don't think that there's any doubt that the Raiders have been talking to him along those uh, terms. I'm not guaranteeing that, but right. um, it makes way too much sense. Um, you know, that's that 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 would be fit exactly with what the Raiders. Uh, need right now and the chronicle- chronological order of things right now, especially with uh, Colton Miller uh, re-signing and, and being that left tackle for a while. And if you could get a left tackle in college that played it at a high level and go put him at right tackle for the next four or five years along with Colton Miller, that just 
bookends and solidifies yeah. that offensive line for 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 a while. So uh, I think that's it. Makes that, too much sense. It just makes too much sense. Yes, absolutely. And I know that there's other. I know Raider Nation um, really likes Tevin Jenkins from Oklahoma State, as do I. Uh, but if you were, if if it came down to those two players, my I would go with Christian. I just think that. He fits that bill of everything that you're looking for from, you know, physically, uh, emotionally playing offensive line, talent-wise footwork. Uh, I think he's got the necessary strength. So that would be the direction but that I would go in. But who knows what's where? But, who's going to be there? On, on top of that, going back to Jenkins, and I know a lot of people hit me up about him. I've seen him because I cover the Big 12 as well. He's from Oklahoma State. I just – the only question I have on him, who are the dogs that are that are, you know – getting after the pass rusher, that he's had to slow down. The Big 12 doesn't have a bunch of them. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. he's not consistently going up against the elite pass rushers. That's my only question. That's why I would tip the cap and say, okay, let me roll with Derisaw over Jenkins. Yeah, it's and it's a consideration. When it, I mean, it, it literally comes down to those types of conversations in draft rooms uh, when you're watching the tape and those guys are seeing the same things that you're seeing. Who did he play? Who did he have to go head-to-head against that's a premier pass rusher in that league compared to um, a guy like Darsar who has done it in the ACC uh, plenty yeah. of times? So um, we'll see where that goes. By the way, just so everyone knows, Javon Holland from uh, – uh, from from Oregon, yeah, he went to Bishop O'Dowd High School in Oakland. So if you're connecting some dots, uh, that could be nice. a possibility. I want to ask you about one more free safety cue, uh, uh, and 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 that's uh, Andre Cisco from Syracuse. Uh, I, I watched the tape, and there's a wow factor that is just undeniable. But then there's an also uh, uh, factor, right? Uh, watching him too, and and. Uh, here's the thing. If if you can get him in the third round, I think that you know maybe double down at safety where you where you take somebody in the second and then again in the third if Cisco is is still there just to double your bet and protect yourself a little bit uh, because this is the worry that I would have if I was the Raiders. Uh, well, I guess it's two two different ways to look at it. A, if your coaches believe that they could coach that out of him, then he's got skills that are surpass every other safety in this draft period. He just does too right. many too many things well and the speed and everything else like that, the uh, ability to go get the ball and force turnovers, which the Raiders obviously need. Uh, but you, if you also feel like, hey, it's still going to be a little bit of a challenge to coach the, that out of him and there's no guarantee, my worry would be pairing him up with – uh, you know Jonathan Abram, who has some of the similar sort of you know uh, yeah. faults, right? Like taking too many chances, taking poor angles on tackles. Uh, you know, where would you fall on, on on something like that? And is he a player that you would you would you would take a shot on in that second round? I wouldn't do it in the second round, especially coming off the injury as well. I would definitely wait on him. Uh, I'd make him a day three guy for me. Um, and I know he has. He, he could turn the ball over. You're right. He creates turnovers, and that's something that the Raiders need. I've been pounding the table for someone who can be a ball hawk at that back end. But, man, it's going to be a love-hate relationship with that guy, especially early on, because everything you said, he, he takes some poor angles. He takes so many risks sometimes, uh, you know, freelances at times, and you just can't do that, especially in the NFL. You may be able to get away with that at Syracuse, but you can't get away with that against Patrick Mahomes. You can't get away with that against um, – um, um, Whoever the, I forget his name now, the the Broncos, not the Broncos, the Chargers uh, quarterback. Jeez, how did I forget his name? What's Justin his name? Herbert. Yes, yes. He's really I think Raider, I think Raider friends would like to forget his name already, but yes, nah. exactly. 
<laughs> I put him out of my brain, but he's really thinking good. So, I mean, you can't do that against NFL talent because they'll burn you every time and they'll pick up on your tendencies. And I think that that is what happens with uh, with Jonathan Abram right now. The teams know what he will tend to do. You know, he'll, he'll start to be disciplined, and then when he has to think too much, then all of a sudden he just kind of reverts back to who he is. And unfortunately, he gets burned by that because I think teams are setting him up for that. And so they've got to be able to coach that out of him. And he's still a young dude. He's only really got one year under his belt. So I know he's going to keep working and trying to continue to get better. But I think that's taking an awful big risk having two guys back there that can give up the big play at, at any any uh, any snap of the ball. And if you're and if you're thinking about guys who have successfully got it coached out of him a little bit, even though it kind of rears its ugly head every once in a while, uh, and I know it's a different position, but Marcus Peters was a lot like that too. Um, yep. You know, he just he 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 bites, um, you know, and he he watches too much, peeks too much. Uh, if you're asking him to play man on man, it's not going to work. He's more of a zone guy that keeps his eye on the quarterback. But in the right system, and and he's gotten to a point now where. Uh, he's really good when asked to do what he does right, and 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 the other part of it has been coached out of him to an extent. So there are success. A guy like Andre Cisco, with the right coaching and the right mentality from the from the player, uh, could overcome right. some of those some of those weaknesses and some of those tendencies to to try to yeah. do a little bit too much. All right, last question before we let you go. Thank you for staying a little bit uh, overtime. Colton Miller uh, re-signing. It was pretty much inevitable. I think a lot of those moves that they made along the offensive line was a precursor to that. The Raiders understood that, hey, got to pay this guy big money. It costs a lot to keep a left tackle uh, around. And so they had to kind of smooth everything else out with Gabe and Trent Brown and, and Rodney Hudson in terms of what they were making to balance it out. Uh, but Colton Miller, definitely a, a player that continues to get better. And they've locked up their left tackle. He's the first player. Uh, first first round pick that they've locked up to a second contract since Darren McFadden. Uh, that's not a good thing, uh, but it is no. what it is. Uh, your thoughts just on on on, on locking down uh, Colt Miller and, and and what that means. And you know, congratulations to John Gruden. That was his first first round pick since coming back. Uh, you look at the numbers. Uh, there's 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 I think fewer fewer guys that get that second contract that some fans you know want to want to think about sometimes. But it is that is a reality. But hey, he hit a home run on his on his first pick. Uh, you could definitely say that. Yeah, no doubt. And Colton Miller is a guy that's worked really, really hard since he's been in the league. He's gotten better each and every year. Uh, he's just, you know, he's just worked on his craft. He's played through injury. I mean, he's everything that they've asked him to do. Matter of fact, he kicked over from the right side to the left side coming out of college. So, yep. I mean, he's. He's a guy that has done, like I said, anything that's been asked of him. Uh, didn't do very, very well as far as his rookie year. He gave up uh, about 14 sacks, which was tied with Brandon Parker. And then in 2020, he only gave up two sacks. So you can see the improvement. Uh, the, the contract was, was well-deserved. I think that they hit him at the right time with it as well because, you know, these contracts, I think, next year are going to start to be really, really insane and, and start to go up as the salary cap goes up as well. So they got a good deal, gave him some good coin. He feels good about it, and now they have him locked up through 2025, and, and now they can probably go out there and go get his bookend, uh, his bookend, like we mentioned earlier, uh, in, in the draft this year and have two young studs at those positions for uh, quite a while, you know, five, six, seven, eight years, who knows how long, but they're, they're going to be there long enough to, you know, protect their quarterback at all costs. And obviously that's something that they need to do, and 
Uh, I think if it tells us anything is that the Raiders are, are pretty good at drafting uh, you know, offensive linemen in the first round. So maybe they'll do another, grab another one this year in the, in the draft. I like the way you're thinking. Uh, uh, really appreciate it, Q. Uh, as always, all the insight um, and uh, all, the, all, all, all the information. Uh, you're welcome here anytime. You know that. And uh, don't be a stranger, and we won't be a stranger uh, as well. Uh, take care of yourself. Enjoy uh, what hopefully will be a regular you know, competitive basketball game when UCLA comes on a little bit later on. But uh, enjoy the rest of the night, and we will talk to you down the road. Take your brother. Have a great rest of the show. All right, man. Thank you very much. That was uh, your boy Q. Uh, you could follow him at your boy Q254. Uh, Q Myers, uh, obviously, a great friend of the show, great friend of Raider Nation Raider. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. No one gets you closer to the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. What up, what up, what up, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. It is a Tuesday. Uh, and boy, I, you know, listening to the commissioner today on the conference call, uh, Commissioner Roger Goodell, that would be, not to name dropping or anything like that, but, you know, Raj, uh, Raj Goodell, uh, you know, talking in hopeful, optimistic terms about uh, fans coming back in full force, not just on a limited uh, you know, capacity basis, uh, as was the case last year in the stadiums that actually allowed fans in there. I think there were 20 stadiums of the 30, 30 stadiums. I always make, uh, make that mistake. It's not 32 stadiums um, because there's two teams that share stadiums. Uh, the Chargers, four teams actually, the Chargers and the Rams share SoFi Stadium. And uh, the Giants and Jets uh, share MetLife Stadium. So uh, it's not 32 stadiums, it's 30, just a little uh, uh, tidbit there. Anyway, of the 30 stadiums that are operating in the NFL, I think 20, 20 stadiums allowed fans uh, last year on a limited basis. Uh, well, uh, according to uh, Commissioner Roger Goodell uh, uh, this morning or this afternoon on the, on the conference call, after the vote uh, to uh, to move to 17 games, uh, somebody asked him about you know uh, where the league is right now in terms of fan participation in 2021, and uh, he said he expects to have stadiums operating at full capacity uh, next year. I mean that would be fantastic, uh, and I would love to hear from the fans out there. Uh, if you want to give us a call at 702-365-9200, what's the thing that you missed most about going to games? Um, you know, uh, obviously Raider uh, Allegiant Stadium here in Las Vegas was closed off entirely. Uh, the state of Nevada, um, you know, had restrictions in place throughout the course of the season uh, that uh, th- there weren't fans uh, allowed on any level uh, here here in Las Vegas anyway. Uh, some states did things a little bit differently. It was all based on numbers and science and all that good stuff. I, I happen to really respect our governor, Steve Sisolak, uh, here in Nevada, and I think he did the right thing. Um, so, uh, but, you know, slowly but surely things are getting back to normal here in Las Vegas. There's 20% capacity now at T-Mobile Arena where the Golden Knights play, and that that works out to about, I think, 3,600 fans. Um, I, I'm, I'm kind of guessing here, but I would imagine that T-Mobile probably seats about 18,000, between 18 and 20, let's just say. 
so 20% of, of, of the, that capacity is what they're allowed to have at, at games now. We're at, what, March 30th. Uh, the kickoff to the NFL season is in the first week of September or right after Labor Day. According to the commissioner, uh, anyway, um, he fully expects that uh, stadiums across the NFL will be operating at full capacity come September, come the 2021 season. And I am right there with them in terms of the optimism, uh, and, and I hope that that is the case. Uh, but in talking to Mark Davis this afternoon, um, he he shares the optimism uh, with the commissioner. But you know, in his own words, hey, it's a little too early uh, to make that call. Uh, we don't know, you know, where the vaccine uh, vaccination uh, process is going to be uh, come September. Um, how many people will have gotten the vaccination? Uh, by the start of the NFL season, uh, full disclosure, I've gotten my vaccination. I got it done last week uh, through Johnson & Johnson. It was a one and done, thankfully. Didn't have to come back for a second shot. Um, but uh, I think the expectation is that in a month or two, uh, you know, we should be at, what, 80%? You know, as far as the vaccination across the country, hopefully everybody um, is on board with that and, and doing the right thing. I'm not trying to get all political here or tell you what to do, but, you know, it's it's important. Uh, there's no question about it, uh, getting vaccinated. So, um, you know, if, 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 if 80% of the population is vaccinated by, you know, we're, we're in March, April, May, by, by mid-May, let's say, uh, then that would put us in a pretty good, uh, on a pretty good path uh, to, to get back to, um, you know, close to full capacity, I would say, uh, come the NFL season um, in, in, you know, the beginning of September, but we'll see. And so, you know, while Mark Davis wants to have uh, Raider Nation back at Allegiant Stadium and uh, being part of this, this, this whole uh, environment and, and game day experience, we all do. And we all want that for every stadium across the NFL. Obviously, it's still a little bit too early to tell. Uh, and it will come down to each state's mandates, just like it did last year. Uh, again, I mentioned that uh, here in Nevada, here in Las Vegas, fans weren't allowed uh, at, at games throughout the course of last season. Uh, we hadn't got to that point in terms of the reopening process. Uh, so Allegiant Stadium sat empty, unfortunately, except for, you know, obviously the players and staff members. I was there as a, as a media member, but it was a very tight, uh, uh, tightly, you know, uh, tight lid on, on how many people even in just the work function were allowed in the building. Um, so, you know, we'll see. And, you know, I did ask Mark Davis today, uh, because remember last year when there was the possibility that uh, either there would be no fans or, or you know, you know, a reduced capacity, let's say 20% at Allegiant Stadium. Uh, Mark Davis wanted it to be all fans or no fans at Allegiant Stadium. He just didn't have the heart uh, to, to tell, you know, when, you, when here in Las Vegas, uh, Allegiant Stadium is sold out. 65,000 season tickets have been sold. And so to tell... You know, a certain amount of people, yes, you can go, but you guys can't go uh, when everyone has paid their money and everyone has, you know, made their commitment, uh, their financial and commitment and their heart and, and blood, sweat and tears to, to, to pay for those tickets. He didn't think it was right to tell 
any amount of fans that they couldn't come uh, next year. He wanted the stadium full bore, 65,000 strong, opening the way his everybody's vision of opening uh, Allegiant Stadium was, and that was rocking and rolling with uh, a full house in there and didn't think it was fair to tell one, let alone thousands of fans, uh, that they can't make it in uh, next year. I, I did ask him, well, okay, if there is, you know, reduced capacity, if there is, you know, a, a, a allowable uh, amount of fans next year but not full capacity, you know, what's have you given any thought to whether or not, you know, it would still be the all or none, um, you know, uh, uh, f- thinking, thinking along those lines. He didn't have an answer yet. And his whole, uh, and I respect, uh, you know, the way he put it, it was like, look, you know, uh, I try not to think too far ahead in those type of terms. And I don't want to think negatively. I don't want to think about, you know, this or that in terms of negative thoughts. Um, let's just let it play out um, and, and let the situation play out and see where we are. Uh, come the time that a decision has to be made on whether to roll with 50% capacity, 100% capacity, 80% capacity, 30% capacity, whatever the state of Nevada is going to uh, mandate uh, and allow, uh, then you know he'll have to make a decision if it's not 100%, if he's okay with it not being 100%. And I know where Mark Davis's heart is, I truly do, and he wants everybody that's that's you know. Uh, staked their claim uh, to a part to to being part of the stadium. When we talk about season tickets, you're not just talking about uh, the cost of the game day ticket. You're talking about you know the personal seat license that goes into it, and all of that money went toward construction costs of the stadium. So if you're a season ticket holder for the Las Vegas Raiders, you're literally part of the process that built this stadium. You have a stake in this stadium. Um, and, you know, from Mark Davis's perspective, uh, it would have killed him to tell somebody that put their hard-earned money uh, into not just the tickets but the PSLs that helped build that darn thing, hey, you can't experience the first year, uh, the grand opening. It just – he it, 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 trust me, I talked to him a lot about this. And he was tossing and turning. It, 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 it ate at him. And uh, really, it was kind of a heartbreaking type of situation for him. Because imagine being Mark Davis, um, you know, and, and working as hard as you did uh, to secure this home uh, and to secure, to secure this long-term home uh, and new stadium for your franchise. And not just for your franchise. He never, ever, 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 ever thought of it along those terms. It was for Raider Nation as well to have a home where Raider Nation can congregate, you know, every Sunday or, or, or eight, nine Sundays out of the year um, and, and have a home to call their own and be proud of. Uh, this wasn't just for himself or his franchise. It was really anything but. It was for Raider Nation and his franchise and he himself is part of Raider Nation. So, um you know, uh, so this was uh, an all-or-nothing proposition because everybody played a role in that, uh, and so um, you know, uh, it's 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 really uh, interesting. Now it'll be really interesting to see, you know, where where he uh, he falls uh, on on uh, on this. And I'm getting a text from uh, my my producer Jared. Jared, is is there something? Do you want to chime in a little bit? Yes, I. All I want to say is that. Of all the owners in the NFL, and I mean, a lot of them are really great people. Some of them are, you know, 
good mm-hmm. people. It's a, you know, it runs the gambit. The fact that Mark Davis genuinely was like, well, that won't be safe. And he actually, like, he he put, like, his own self-worth, like, he put his own worth. He hasn't complained about losing money. He hasn't, like, complained about having to, like, restructure anything. What he did was he went, I don't want to put anyone in danger. And that's something to me as a citizen of Las Vegas that makes me go, oh, this guy, this guy cares. And that's, that's the only thing I, I, I really wanted to contribute was just that his first thing was, it's either all or nothing. If it's nothing, then it's going to be nothing. Yep, exactly. And because he, he didn't want it on his conscience that someone may get sick. And we saw it at, we saw it at the Chiefs game we, uh, the very first week. We saw it at other stadiums where it was like, oh, well, we could cut so you know, we might make a little money on the side. And he went, no, I don't want anyone in Raider Nation getting sick. Yeah, and, and, and on top of that, which he absolutely was, it was also, um, you know, he wanted everyone that, that had a stake in, in, in this to be able to experience it the way everyone, you know, envisioned it being. And he just, and, and that's another thing, like, like you know, uh, it could have come to a point last year where, you know, the governor could have said, okay, you know, you can have 30% fans in there and uh, we could safely do that. We could safely say that we could put 30% fans in there. But Mark Davis, the Raider owner, is like, what about the other 70% that have just as much a stake uh, in this process as the 30%? I'm not, I don't want to tell those fans that they're going to be shut out the door uh, this year and they're not going to be able to be a part of this. And so, and he also, you know, in his mind, uh, you know, when, when he closes his, his eyes and thinks about Allegiant Stadium, uh, hooting and hollering and in a big moment and seeing it uh, in, his, in, in the vision that he has for it, that's what he wants it to be at all times. And he, and he didn't want to compromise on, on that um, by, by just having a partial crowd uh, in there. But it does both points, uh, what Jared said about the safety uh, and, then, and then on top of that, you know the fact that he had his he has the back of Raider Nation like he cares enough about you know fans that would have been shut out of the experience um you know uh, so much that he would he that he was like forget it then we won't do it at all until we can all be part of it and um you know and i think that that's that's an important distinction to make and and uh, you know, I'm not going to, nobody should begrudge him if, you know, if it's 50% capacity, uh, if he, if he says, okay, let's, let's, let's go ahead and do that next year. And, and I, I don't think he would do that for the financial aspect of it. I think that at that point he would do it understanding the impact that it can still have on his team. Uh, I bring this up all the time, you know, last year there were, there were, you know, three games that really stand out to me. Uh, that that Chargers game, the Kansas City Chiefs game, and uh, and the Miami Dolphin game, where the Raiders took leads with a minute forty six left, and then in overtime, and then with nineteen seconds left in the game, uh, and 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 had had a, were in position to win those three games at home, and 
they couldn't come up with stops. We all know. We all saw what happened. But I remember sitting there in the press box thinking to myself, man, what would this place be like in these three big games, in these key moments? You know, how much of an effect would a crowd have right now, uh, you know, making life difficult for Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs and Justin Herbert and the Chargers uh, and at the time Ryan Fitzpatrick and the, and the Miami Dolphins? I've seen it where, t- where, where crowds make the difference in those situations. And, you know, instead, <laughs> rather than, a you know, uh, crazy, loud, uh, bonkers, Allegiant Stadium that's making life difficult for those guys, it was eerily quiet. But even at 50%, if that's the way it were to go uh, next year, that would definitely be a, uh, a, a you know, uh, it would help the Raiders team uh, in certain situations. So I'm wondering if he's, if he's going to think along those uh, uh, terms. And, you know, when I get back to um, – Oh, by the way, we're uh, out to the Raider Nation listener line. Uh, Raider T is on line one. Wants to talk about the Raiders. How are you doing, Raider T? Hey, Vinny. How are you, my friend? I'm good, man. How are you, buddy? Good. Hey, I wanted to talk about the draft. Okay. Um, I really, because the defense was so bad, I really wanted a defensive pick at number 17. But the more I see what they're doing and not doing, I really think I'm leaning with you. I think they're going to take an offensive tackle, and especially if a guy, um, I forget the last name because there's two Christians. The Christian from Virginia Tech who's an offensive tackle, and then Darishaw. Christian Barmore is a defensive tackle. Yeah, Darishaw. If he's available, I think they're going to go with him, and they're thinking they're going to pair him with um, uh, Colton Miller, which yep. I think would be great. I can't be unhappy about that. You know, when, when they drafted Miller, I really wanted um, – I'm drawing a blank on his name now, but the safety from Florida State that the Chargers took. Derwin James. Um, Derwin James. But, you know, I said, okay, I'm going to trust these guys. They, I think they know what they're doing, and it turned out to be true. Colton Miller has been great after he got over that initial injury. So if we get two young stud offensive tackles to protect Carr, I can't be unhappy. If they don't, if they if, – if, Darmore is gone, and they, they don't think any of the other guys are such a great value that they're going to wait till the second round, and they do go defense. The more and more I think about it, even though they could draft a corner to go with Trayvon Mullen, they could draft a uh, linebacker to really be an enforcer or rush the passer off the edge. Really, I think if, if they go defense, the guy Christian Dershaw or Barshaw, I forget, I get confused between the two. but the Barmore. Oh, you're talking about the there. defensive tackle? Barmore. Yeah, I think that's the way they go if they don't take the offensive tackle because they're building this team to beat the Chiefs. And if you think about it, uh, they beat them once. They should have beat them twice. And the the key thing is um, uh, stopping their quarterback. He's just such a stud. And you got Crosby off the edge. You got Farrell off the other edge. You brought in um, the new guy uh, to rush the passer uh, that used to be with Jacksonville off the edge. But they were trying to bring in a guy in the middle, you know, a guy like um, Chris Jones from KC, Aaron Donald from the Rams, and that's the guy they were trying to bring in from the Cowboys. And they thought that guy was going to be the guy to basically, no matter where Patrick Mahomes turned, there's pressure from the left, pressure from the right, pressure up the middle. And the guy from the Cowboys just didn't pan out. I think he was the third-rated pass rusher, defensive tackle, behind Chris Jones and behind Aaron Donald. He just, you know, I don't know what the problem was but it's a complete flop. And if you get a guy that can really change that equation and put the pressure up the middle where no matter what um, Mahomes does, he's running into a uh, defender trying to tackle him, 
I think that's the biggest bang for your buck. I mean, I really like the safety out of TCU. There's some great corners. There's some great linebackers. But none of those guys are really going to affect Mahomes the way you would if you had the, the entire defensive line. No matter where you look, there's somebody trying to bring him to the ground. Um, you know, I don't know what you think about that, but I think they're going one of the two Christians, either the offensive tackle, and if, if he's gone, then I think they go with the guy from Alabama because I think he'll still be there. Yeah, and uh, I can't argue with that uh, that uh, theory right there. Um, even if it meant passing on a tackle in the first round to get a dominant, if you feel like Christian Barmore from uh, Barmore from uh, Alabama is going to be a dominant day one kind of a guy um, at defensive tackle, it's such an important position, and I'm right there with you. Um, you know, you pair him up or or, or, or uh, you know put him in there. Uh, with uh, Ngakwe and Max Crosby and Clee Farrell, um, you know, all of a sudden, that's a pretty formidable looking. And and with everyone else that you brought in, you know, uh, they've brought in some some really good, interesting uh, players with that still have some upside uh, have produced. Um, you know, so uh, I, I could see them going in that direction. At some point, though, they got to get a tackle. So we'll see whether that's good going to be at 17 or, um, you know, at, at 48 or somewhere along the line. Uh, hey, just want to say, th- I really appreciate the call, Raider T. Uh, thank you very much. I uh, want to say thanks to Jared, our, our producer, uh, who uh, stepped in on a moment's notice. Sorry about, you know, waking you up in the from the nap. I know We're how that good. is. <laughs> um, thank you uh, for, for everything that you did. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow, 4 to 6 p.m., in the huddle, Vinny Bonsignor brought to you by Tequila Embajador. By the way, thanks to all the callers. Uh, thank you to Q Myers uh, for, for bringing the insight and everything that, that he does. Really appreciate it. Uh, back at it tomorrow. We'll see what unfolds tomorrow. It's never a dull moment. Not at Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. In the huddle, Vinny Bonsignor brought to you by Tequila Embajador. <laughs>